growing in God's Word, and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Coincidence is just providence misspelled. In the midst of your times when you're saying, God, what in the world? God, what is happening? God, why, is, why am I being pushed into this? Or God, why is this happening that way? Or God, why is this person doing that thing? God is there, ladies and gentlemen. Hear me say, God is there. Are you a planner? Some people plan out almost everything in their day. Others tend to fly by the seat of their pants and just see what happens. And of course, sometimes the plans we make don't necessarily turn out the way we thought they might or hoped they would, right? But what about God? Does He have plans? And do they always turn out the way He planned for them to? Coincidence is just providence misspelled. In the midst of your times when you're saying, God, what in the world? God, what is happening? God, why, is, why am I being pushed into this? Or God, why is this happening that way? Or God, why is this person doing that thing? God is there, ladies and gentlemen. Hear me say, God is there. There are no accidents with God. And what, what seems coincidence is really the providence of God. And, and even in the decisions that you make or that people make that may be contrary to what would be right or good, God is still doing it. Hello and welcome to this week's Crosswalk. We're continuing a story that we started last week from the book of Esther. As Pastor Clay began to explain, although we may not always see or understand exactly what is going on, we can be confident that God does have plans. And we are included in those plans. As we'll hear today, God always accomplishes His plans. The question is, are we going to join Him in His plans? Now here's Pastor Clay with the latest message in our series, Alone. Okay, we are jumping right into this this morning because got a good bit to say. At times I may talk kind of fast, uh, so as I sometimes say to you, you're going to have to listen fast uh, because this is a big story and a lot is happening in the story. And one of the things, I, or the primary goal, is that I want you to see God in this story. I want you to see how God is working in the midst of a situation where uh, this, uh, this woman, Hadassah, uh, also known as Esther, would have undoubtedly felt very alone in an uncertain time in her life and all that was happening to her and seemed to be happening to her without her having any control over it. She was just caught up in this thing, it seems like. But yet what we're going to see and what we do see is that God was working. Y'all doing okay today? Would y'all be more comfortable if y'all came down and sat in the middle? Would that make it more comfortable? It would. <laughs> it would. This is your chance. If you want to just move down there, you can feel free to do so right down to the middle any one of these open chairs in here if you feel like moving I just thought I'd throw that out see it's it's hard I, I can't get y'all to to move so so we started talking about this woman uh, named Esther last week and we began reading some of the text just no way to cover all the text we're just hitting some some highlights of it and walking through this narrative walking through this story of what happens and then seeing how there's application for our lives. Uh, so we start it with, and we'll continue with, one overarching principle from uh, the book of Esther that, that I want you to see. And the overarching principle, uh, your blanks, I think, are already filled in if you like doing that sort of thing. Coincidence is providence misspelled. That's what we said last week, and we're continuing that theme and that idea uh, today. And, and that is that 
that when we see things happen and like, oh, well, that, nah, how did that happen? Or, or why this? Or well, that, that's, that must have been an accident. Or that's such a coincidence. What we discover is that, no, the providence of God is at work. God is moving. God is accomplishing. God is working. God is doing. God is always doing. Why don't y'all, if somebody sit beside you, turn to him and say, God is always doing. He is. So, uh, uh, coincidence is providence misspelled. And last week we looked at, under that, uh, one really uh, main idea. And that was this. And that is that um, uh, big egos uh, equals big trouble, basically. Big egos spells big trouble. To quickly kind of bring you up to speed, if you were not here last week... This, uh, the, the, the Persian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Persian Empire is ruling the known world at that time. They're the biggest, they're the baddest. They've defeated the Babylonians and now they're the, uh, they're, they're the, they're the new sheriff in town. And uh, the king of the Persian Empire is a guy uh, referred to as Ahasuerus in the, in the text, in the story. In secular history, we know him to be Xerxes. That's... Uh, Anyway, long story, but that's, that's who he's known to be. Xerxes. Xerxes throws a party. If you were here last week, you remember that? How long did the party last? Yeah, it was, a, it was a big party. It went on a long time. There was a lot of partying going on. And at the culmination or the end of that party, he kind of has a, a, a recap party or a, ca- a, a party to, to culminate the party. And he invites everybody that lives near Susa, rich, poor, small, uh, significant, insignificant in his eyes, whatever. He invites them all to come. And in the midst of this last seven days of this big uh, ongoing revelry and party and everything else, the king's like, whoa, you know what? I, I've got a queen and she is hot, man. She is good looking. And she's got, you should see her crown. Her crown is unbelievable. What I put on her head and she's just amazing. Her name's Vashti. Man, I want y'all to meet her. She's incredible. She's amazing. Hey, guys, uh, go get Vashti and bring her in here so I can show her off to everybody. Now, that in a sense, you know, it's it's not a a bad thing. I said last week, uh, Xerxes had a trophy wife and he wanted to show off his trophy. But, I I mean, maybe he's proud of her. Maybe he loves her. Maybe whatever all the reasons. And so, uh, so the guys go to get Vashti. And Vashti, at the same time as the king is having a party, she's having a party. Uh, and it's gone on for a while, and she's having a party for all of the other wives that belong to Xerxes. That's the culture in which they lived. He had a harem. He had multiple wives, uh, probably concubines as well, uh, which there were, it was all, it was a, it's all sexual, you know, uh, all this stuff. And so he's, she's having a party for all them. You have to assume basically to let them know, uh, I, I am the queen bee. I, I'm it. Y'all, we're, we may all be wives, but I am the queen, right? And so in the midst of that, here comes the guys and they say, hey, Vashti, uh, the king wants you to come. He's summoning you to come into his presence to his party. And whatever the reasons, whatever all's going on, and I get speculated about some of that last week, but Vashti refuses. She says, uh, no, I'm not going. I'm not appearing in the king's uh, presence. So, right? So here we go. So that, that was big egos, big trouble. We talked about it, we talked about how, how we made some application in our lives, how, man, just our ego, just pride, right? Ego, y'all understand what I'm saying? I say this all the time. Ego is not just, ooh, look at me, look what I did, I'm so great. Yeah, that's, that's a form of ego or pride. But pride is also just the idea that I, that I, that I want my way. Or I want it to go like I want it to go. Or I don't want that person to get one up on me. Or, and that's maybe the more subtle aspect of, of pride. But it is, more, it is the more prominent aspect, quite honestly, of pride. 
And, and we talked about that, how we have to humble ourselves, right? We have to humble ourselves. And I didn't get to this verse last week, but I wanted to bring it out before we move on. Just to remind you, maybe you've read it a million times, but the Apostle Paul uh, to the church in Philippi said this. He said, uh, you must have, he says, here, here's, here, here it is. Here's the secret to being able to humble yourselves. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And then he explains what that looks like in the context of humility. Though he was God, though he was God, I don't know what the different isms and cults do that don't believe that Jesus claimed to be God or that he was God. I don't know what they do with this text. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. That's what this season is all about, by the way. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. In other words, in the, 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 that God the Son uh, placed himself under the headship of God the Father, of the, of the Godhead in general. And even though he was God and could say, well, I, I don't have to die. I don't have to, I don't do any of this stuff. And he didn't. But he chose to. That'd be a good place for all of us to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And, and so he did it. And so, so Paul says, that's the attitude right there. It's not about, did Jesus, uh, did, did God the Son have the right to say, well, I'm, I'm God. I don't have to die for them. Sure, he had the right to do that. So it's not about our rights. You see, that's what Paul's saying. Here, you've got to have the exact, what does he say? You've got to have the exact same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. So whether it's your spouse, whether it's a coworker, whether it's your, uh, your uh, family members, whether, whatever it is, there's this opportunity for us to humble ourselves and to say, you know what, it, this is about something bigger. I don't have to win. I don't have to, you understand what I'm saying? That's, I know we all have our pride. We all have our things we have to deal with, and, and it's always going to kind of try and rear its ugly head. But, but if we can apply this principle to, and remember that, man, big egos usually lead to big trouble. If I can just... Okay, so uh, that's what's going on. Vashti says no. Uh, uh, Xerxes has called her. Vashti says no. And uh, the guys, that, that they got to go back and tell him and all this kind of stuff. Now, here, here's where we're going to go. From big, big egos, big trouble, here's where we're going to. Big plans, big God. Big plans, big God. Now, what we're going to see is that there are actually many plans unfolding here as we begin to look at the story. There are many plans unfolding, but what we're going to see, what I hope that you understand through this, is that through all of it, through all of these plans unfolding, through all these people making these decisions and doing this and that, what we see is that God's plan is in the midst of all of God's plan. God is using all of these plans that the Xerxes has and others that we'll talk about in just a minute, that God is in the middle of it because what is it that we're saying Coincidence is just what? Providence misspelled. God is working in this. Okay, so let's look at some of the plans. Let's start with this one. Let's start with Xerxes' plan. Who's Xerxes? King of Persia. That's right. King of the Persian Empire. So Xerxes says, he gets word, uh, King uh, Vashti said no. She wasn't coming. (laughs) Okay, all right. So, and this is the truth. He's been going on, he's been partying for six months. So he's a lot drunk and he's a lot angry. I I mean, he is. He's a lot drunk and he's a lot angry. And he says, what the world? That's probably not what he said. I'm paraphrasing. But he said, what the world? 
The queen just said no to me. What are we supposed to do about this? This has never happened before. The queen, the queen come when the king says come, the queen comes. The queen didn't come. This is the first time this has ever happened before. And so in verse 19, somebody comes up with an idea of chapter one. It says this. So if it pleased the king, we suggest, if it pleased the king, we suggest that you issue a written decree. A law of the Persians and Medes that cannot be revoked. This is an important part of this. It should order that Queen Vashti be forever banished from the presence of King Xerxes. And that the king should choose another queen more worthy than she. And the king's like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll teach her to embarrass me in front of pretty much everybody. So the king cooks his plan. But watch what happens. Look what happens in uh, chapter 2 and verse 1. But after Xerxes' anger had subsided, he began thinking about Vashti and what she had done and the decree he had made. I, I, I can't say this. I'm not saying this for sure. But it sounds like that when the alcohol and the anger began to wear off a little bit, began to subside a little bit, that King Xerxes began to think, hmm, maybe I overreacted to this just a, a little bit. Maybe I, I, maybe I just, uh, maybe I... Uh, but he, he can't undo it. He can't undo it now, folks. Because this is, this is one of those, and there were, in the Persian culture, there were certain, when, if the king ordered a certain decree or a certain way or whatever, it was irrevocable. Even the king can't revoke it. Even the king can't change his mind. He can't change what he's done in anger. He can't undo what he's done in anger. Can you all guess the application here? Don't make decisions in anger don't do it and we do I, I know we do right learn to not make decisions in anger all of us get angry at times all of us you know get you know rash and make impulsive decisions in our anger but listen sometimes when we do that you can't undo it you understand what i'm saying in other words sometimes you, the damage that's been done in a, in a fit of anger, in a moan of anger, and some decisions been made, sometimes you can't done. And sometimes you will find yourself saying, man, I wish somebody had, had walked me back off that ledge. Man, I wish I, hadn't, wish I hadn't gone there. I wish I hadn't made that decision. Don't make decisions in anger. Last week I, I told a story about uh, Cindy and I uh, slamming the bedroom door because uh, I, she thought I was doing the TV too loud. And uh, I... I didn't like it. So, uh, so we, you know, we, I told that story, right? So this week, um, might as well continue in that same vein. Because my wife and I have had so few of these incidences that I can recall them. Because there have been so few of them uh, that it's happened. But, uh, and I don't know if Travis would remember this or not, but when, when, we, were, when we were in seminary, went to Southeastern Seminary in Wake Forest, uh, just up the road here. When we were in seminary, and Wake Forest was a very small town then. It was just a sleepy little town. Just the seminary really was about all that was there. It's a lot bigger now. But when we were in seminary. This was back in the mid-90s. And uh, we went to church. We went to a church in, in uh, Raleigh. So we, we had come to church. And it was a Sunday night. We come to church. We, uh, after church, uh, we were going to get something to eat. And we had heard about this place called Char Grill. And we'd never been to Char Grill. 
We'd moved here from Atlanta, and we'd never heard of Char Grill. We'd heard a place called Char Grill, and they had good hamburgers, supposedly, and all that kind of stuff. And so, uh, so we're going to go to Char Grill and get something to eat. Now, I know for those sitting in that section back over there, I know this is hard for you to comprehend. This was the mid-90s, but everybody didn't have, didn't have uh, Siri on their phone to tell them where the nearest Char Grill was uh, to them. I, I know, it's crazy. It's crazy. It, it was a barbaric time. It was, it was crazy. You had to use like maps and, and get directions and write stuff down and stop and ask people and all that kind of stuff. So we're looking for Char Grill, right? Do you, you remember this, baby? You remember this time? Yes. Yeah, she's like, oh yeah, I remember. Travis, do you remember it? Travis doesn't remember. So the three kids are in the back of our uh, Chevy Astro van. And, uh, and so we're looking for char grill, right? And we kind of got directions and we're, and we turn up this road and, and there's over on the left, as I'm going by, there's the char grill. And, and, and I don't remember the exact phrasing or, or the tone in which was used. So, uh, you just have to trust me on this. I'm sure I'm right. (laughs) Cindy says, there it is right there. You just missed the char grill. There it is. It was right there. You just missed it. You just, it was right there. You just missed it. I'm sure it was something like that. And, and, um. And so, um, I'm like, okay, there's the charger. It's already, it's already passed. And, uh, and right here on the left, and right on the left, is a, it's just a little turn-in thing. And it's not, it's not even a road. It's like a dirt path that goes to a cow pasture. And there's, a, there's a, like a gate right there at the cow pasture. And, and so I just whip it in there. And there's cars coming from the other direction. Um, but I am driving a finely tuned auto, uh, automobile. And so the Chevy Astro van. So I whip it into this, into this little area and, and get to slam on the brakes so I don't smash into the, to the gate. Metal gate. Y'all got the picture? When, when my wife was a teenager, uh, she was involved in an accident. Her and a bunch of other girls were driving uh, down a dirt road, and they kind of fished in, lost control, and flipped in this, in this vehicle. So she does not do well in uh, driving situations. Okay? So, uh, so she's like freaking, right, as I whip in front of those cars and, and slam it come to a stop, and, and she's like, what are you doing? You're going to get us killed. What are you doing? I can't believe you just did that. I can't. And uh, listen, this, uh, ladies, uh, those of you that are married, those of you that perhaps will be married someday, let me just go ahead and say this to you. Men do not like to be challenged on our driving uh, expertise. All right? We just don't. So, so I... I throw it up in reverse and back out as cars are still are coming the other way. But I, I back out and floor that highly tuned piece of machine and, uh, and floor it down to char grill and whip it into char grill and turn in and come into the parking lot and throw it into park. And, and the kids jump out and they run into char grill and go to eat. And me and Cindy just sitting there, just sitting in the front seat. I'm on the driver's side. She's over there. So sooner or later, somebody's got to say something. So I said, well, are you going to get something to eat? I'm not eating. I'm not eating. Well, I'm not either. Well, that was stupid. All we accomplished was both of us going hungry that night. Right? Don't. Don't make decisions in anger. Listen, on a serious note, don't, don't throw a marriage away in a moment of anger. Don't throw a career away. Don't, don't say something to your children in a moment of anger that will leave scars for years. Don't just, you understand what I'm saying? So the king can't undo it. He, he can't change what's been done. So watch what happens. Let's 
Let's see what picks it up in verses uh, 2 and following. So his personal attendants suggest it, right? He can't undo it. So the king, well, I can't undo this now. So his personal attendants suggest it. Let us search the empire to find beautiful young virgins for the king. <laughs> that guy's getting a raise. I'm telling you right now, that guy's getting a raise. Okay. Beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint agents in each province to bring these beautiful young women into the royal harem of the fortress of Susa. Hegai, the king's eunuch, we'll get to them later, uh, in charge of the harem, will see that they are all given beauty treatments. And after that, the young, the young woman who pl- most pleases the king will be made queen instead of Vashti. This advice was very appealing to the king. So he put the plan into effect. I'll bet it was. Hmm, let me get this straight. You want to gather up beautiful women from all over the kingdom. You want to bring them here and let them be part of my harem. I can have each one of them. And the one that I happen to like the best, I can make the, I can make the queen. I like it. I like it a lot. Right? It's, so, it's such a guy. It's such a fleshly decision, right? It's such a fleshly plan. But that, that's how it all unfolds. And, and that's how... Esther comes to be queen. She's one of the beautiful young girls, beautiful young virgins selected, and she comes, and, and she's the one that, that uh, Xerxes chooses to be the queen. It's an amazing story. If you read the whole story, you can see God's hand all over and how God was working. Okay, so, that, that, so Xerxes is working his plan, right? 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 Remember, coincidence is just providence misspelled. So... Uh, so, so let's look at the next one. Here we go. Here we go. Bigthan and Teresh's plan. That's at least how I'm pronouncing it. Sounds good to me. Bigthan and Teresh's plan. All right, who are Bigthan and Teresh? Bigthan and Teresh are two of the king's guards. All right? They're guards. They're guards at the, the gate, or maybe they're with him a lot, they're bodyguard, whatever it is. They are two of the king's guards. All right? They uh, get mad at the king and they hatch a plan to assassinate the king. Okay, we're going to kill the king. Now, as uh, time permitting, as we will see later, because listen, we don't know. The, story, the, the text doesn't tell us why they were mad at the king. I have, I have, <laughs> I have speculation for you. We don't know why they're mad at the king. Uh, I need to be serious. We don't know why they're mad at the king. I'm, this is my serious look. We don't know why they're mad at the king. But they're mad at the king, mad enough they want to kill him. Now, as we will also see later, Bigthan and Teresh were also a couple of the king's eunuchs. A eunuch, in, in this case, in the Persian culture, how can I delicately put this? What? A eunuch was a man who was unable to... Uh, okay. He's unable to, chicka-bang, chicka-bang, bang, you know, kind of, that, was, that was subtle. He, I, the the eunuch, eunuchs were people that were unable to have a physical relationship with women as a result of a surgical procedure that was performed upon them. So, uh, by the way, if you're wondering, well, why, why would they even, why would they do that? You remember all those beautiful women that were part of the king's harem they were the kings they belonged to the king right and some of them might not see the king for months maybe sometimes for years he had hundreds of them 
Maybe they'd get lonely. Maybe they'd want some companionship. And so in the Persian culture and in other cultures, the best way to ensure that no hanky-panky is going on with the king's women was to make everybody a eunuch that was around them. Hey, by the way, how do you like to be the guy that gave out jobs in the kingdom? Right? Hey, hey, I got good news and bad news for you. The good news is you get to guard beautiful, hundreds of beautiful women every day. The bad news is you get to guard beautiful, hundreds of beautiful women every day. And you got to see the doctor first. So anyway, so, so I don't know. Maybe this might be part of why they're mad, but they are mad, man. They, they want the king bumped off. They're going to assassinate the king. Mordecai, do you remember Mordecai? We mentioned him last week. Mordecai, and we said last week, for whatever reason, when some of the Jews began to go back to Israel, Mordecai didn't go. And we don't know why, God, why he didn't go. But God knows why Mordecai didn't go, doesn't he? Because Mordecai is sitting at the king's gate, which probably means he has some type of job or official position there. He's probably not a guard because he's not listed as one, and he's probably too old. Maybe he was the guy that undid the latch. Maybe he announced when people were I don't know. But he just happens to be at the gate. He just happens to overhear this plot to assassinate the king. Maybe, maybe he overheard them strategizing. Maybe they were bragging to some other guard about what they were going to do. However it happened, whatever the reason, uh, in the providence of God, uh, uh, Mordecai ends up overhearing it, hearing what's going to happen. Mordecai, believe it or not, this is incredible, it's amazing, what a coincidence, Mordecai's adopted daughter has just been named the queen of the entire Persian Empire. What are the odds? Mordecai tells Esther, Esther goes and tells the king, Xerxes, in the name of Mordecai, that's important. She tells the king that Mordecai has discovered that there's a plot to assassinate him. It's investigated, and Bigthan and Teresh are hanged. It didn't, didn't end well for them. Okay, but that's their plan, right? We got a plan. Now, all of a sudden, uh, Mordecai is at the right place at the right time to hear this plan. He's able to convey it to Esther, who is now the queen of the, the Persian Empire, and she's able to give it to Xerxes and and so now the stage is set for a good relationship with, with Mordecai. But watch how this happens. Now, let's get uh, to uh, verse 21. In those days, while Mordecai was sitting in the king's gate, big than the rest, uh, the king's officials from those who guarded the door became angry, sought to lay hands on King Xerxes. But the plot became known to Mordecai, and he told Queen Esther. Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. Now, when the plot was investigated and found to be so, they were both hanged on a gallows, and it was written in the book of Chronicles in the king's presence. That's important, that last little bit. It's written in the, chronicle, in the, in the king's chronicles, in the king's presence. It's, it's written down, it's recorded. A guy named Mordecai found out about a plot uh, to assassinate the king, and he, and he thwarted that plot. Okay? I keep saying this, I'll keep saying it uh, again. Coincidence is just providence misspelled. Because now we move into somebody else's plan. I want you to look at Haman's plan. Now, who is Haman? Who is that guy? It's the first time we've heard that name. Who is Haman? Haman was an official in the, in the, in the king's uh, court. He, in fact, had been elevated to second in command of the entire Persian Empire. He's, he's number uh, two in command, right? Okay? That's who Haman is. And he is, he is remember I said earlier, big ego's big trouble? Haman has a big ego. He is, he is proud of who he is. He's proud of his position and what, what he's achieved he's, and all this kind of stuff. So he, ha, he has some expectations that people are going to treat him like he is somebody. And he is somebody in the Persian Empire. 
So uh, watch the, the text in verse uh, 1 of chapter 3. After these events, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agite, and advanced him and established his authority over all the princes who were with him, all the king's servants who were at the king's gate. Remember who's at the king's gate? Mordecai. Remember king, king, Mordecai's at the king's gate? All the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, to Haman for so the king had commanded concerning him. The king said, I want you to pay homage to Haman. He's my number two guy. But Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage. And then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, why are you transgressing the king's command? Mordecai, why aren't you bowing down? Why aren't you paying homage to Haman? Now it was when they had spoken daily to him and he would not listen to him that they told Haman, they went and told Haman, they're some nice guys, some nice friends, huh? Haman, uh, Mordecai, why won't you bow down? And then, so then they run off and tell Haman. They told, they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's reason would stand. What is Mordecai's reason? For he had told them that he was a Jew. So they won't bow down. He won't bow down to them. And the reason that he gives is a Jew. Uh, what's the next verse that I have? Uh, when Haman saw that Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage to him, Haman was filled with, what's that next word? rage but he's disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone for they had told him who the people of Mordecai were who were the people of Mordecai Jews therefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews the people of Mordecai who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus throughout the Persian empire I want them dead I want them dead I want them dead I want them all dead seems a bit extreme just because the guy won't bow down to you but big ego Big trouble. Haman wants Mordecai to recognize who he is. He is the number two guy, and Mordecai will not do it. Now, Jewish law allowed for Mordecai to show homage and respect to an official, a king or even the king's official. So it wasn't necessarily against uh, Jewish law for, uh, ha- for Mordecai to, to pay homage or to even bow down. So either, so here's what's happening. Either Mordecai or either Haman is asking for worship, and that a Jew could not do. He could not worship uh, uh, anything else other than the one true God. Or there may be even something more there. Uh, uh, Haman, uh, it is, uh, there is evidence that Haman was a descendant of Agag. He called him Agite. Uh, Agag would, had been the first king, or been a king of the Amalekites. The Amalekites were the first group of people. Are y'all with me? This is it's riveting. The Amalekites were the first group of people that attacked the Jews when they came out of Egypt. When they came out of slavery. The Amalekites jumped on them, tried to defeat them. And, and God, through, through Moses, God said that there won't be any peace between the Jews and the Amalekites. And so there had been bad blood for hundreds of years between them. Now, that, that may be part of why Mordecai won't bow down. Uh, and it may be part of why Haman says, I don't want just Mordecai dead. I want them all dead. I want all their people dead. And so, uh, he, he, he hatches this plan. He goes to the, he's, he's going to go to the king. And he says, king, listen, listen, there's a group of people in your uh, land that don't really obey your laws. Now, that wasn't necessarily true, but he doesn't care. He wants them dead. They don't really obey your laws. They're kind of strange people. And listen, why don't you just let me uh, take them off your hands? I'll just kill them all. Why don't you let me kill them all? Um, again, I know that sounds extreme to us, but that was the culture of, of that, that time. And 
uh, Xerxes says, okay, yeah, whatever. Uh, do whatever you want to do. And so Haman hatches this plan to destroy all of the Jews, to wipe them all out, to, to kill Mordecai and the whole bunch of them. Now, here's something I haven't told you yet that you need to know. Remember Esther? Where is Esther? She's in the palace. She's the queen. She's Jewish. But nobody knows Esther is Jewish at this point. The text earlier, if you read the whole story, Mordecai had specifically told her, don't tell anybody yet that you're a Jew. Put that in your back pocket. It might come in handy somewhere. <laughs> so he doesn't say, she doesn't, so nobody knows that the queen of the entire Persian Empire is Jewish. And Mordecai has, or uh, Haman has just destro- ordered the destruction of all of the Jews. So there's, there's uh, Haman's plan, okay? So he puts his plan into motion. Now, what I want you to see is God's plan through all of this, through all of what's going on, through Mordecai's, through all of what's going on. Uh, watch this. Look at this. Um, as the text continues in verse 9, uh, Hathak came back and related Mordecai's words to Esther because Mordecai has heard that Haman has ordered the destruction of all the Jews. He goes into mourning. He, he puts on sackcloth and ash and tears his clothes. That was part of the, that culture. Esther, his adopted daughter, hears that Mordecai is very distressed. Something's wrong with Mordecai. She sends people out to say, Mordecai, what in the world's wrong? Hathak came back and related Mordecai's words to Esther. And then Esther spoke to Hathak and ordered him to reply to Mordecai. So they go to Mordecai. Mordecai says, here's why I'm distressed. Haman has has ordered the destruction of all the Jews. Go tell Queen Esther to go to the king and intercede for the Jews. And here's what Esther says through the delivery guy to Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that for any man or woman who comes to the king, to the inner court, who is not summoned, he has but one law, and that he be put to death. If somebody's not, if he's not invited, if someone's not summoned, and they show up in the, in the king's presence, unless the king holds out to him the golden scepter so that he may live. Uh, and I have not been summoned to come to the king for these 30 days... And they related Esther's words to Mordecai. Okay, so here, here we are. Here, here's where it's all come, this is what it's come down to, right? All the Jews are supposed to be put to death. Mordecai says, Esther, you've got to go into the king. You've got to tell the king uh, that this is wrong. Don't let the Jews be put to death. And Esther sends word back. I'm paraphrasing, but Esther sends word, words back. Are you insane? Everybody, Mordecai, everybody knows that you cannot go into the king's presence unless you are invited or summoned. And I haven't been summoned for 30 days, Mordecai. Okay? Listen, is it understandable? It is under. I mean, this is life and death stuff we're talking about here. It's understandable. So, here we go, and this is what I want you to see. Here's the response that Mordecai then sends back, this very famous response and so is Esther's after that but we'll get to it Mordecai sent this reply to Esther so Esther says I haven't been summoned I can't go into this presence uh if I do I'm liable to be killed unless he just happens to hand out the golden scepter Mordecai sent this reply to Esther watch this I think it's a beautiful picture of how the sovereignty of God the providence of God works in and with man's free will without violating either one of those which I believe our biblical concepts. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. Ah, oh no. You think you're just going to, oh, you think you're just going to conveniently forget that you're a Jew? If you keep quiet, watch this. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. Mordecai knows God has a plan. 
He may not know what that plan exactly is, but he knows God's got a plan. I'll tell you why in just a second. Deliverance relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you are made queen for just such a time as this. Coincidence is providence misspelled. Now it all begins to make sense after all the what in the world's going on and being summoned to come into the to the palace and being chosen as the, the queen and 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 people trying to assassinate other people and and people wanting people dead and all this stuff going on and all of a sudden uh, it all it all comes full circle and, and, and Mordecai says, Listen, listen, Esther. God made a promise, and this is, what, this is what Mordecai knows. God made a promise to the Jewish people. He made it to Abraham, he made it to Isaac, he made it to Jacob, he made it to David, he made it to Solomon. He basically made it to all Jews, and that is this eternal covenant that the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, would always be a, a nation that would be blessed by him and that would prosper and that he would have planned for them, and it was an eternal covenant. I believe that scripture is very clear on that. It is an eternal covenant with the Jewish people. Okay, so Mordecai knows, hey, if you, if, you, if you keep quiet, God will still save us. God still got his plans. God will not go back on his word. He made an eternal covenant pact with us. He will not change his mind. So the Jewish people will be saved, Esther. Watch this. That's the, that's the providence. We talked about this a little bit in that Q&A last week. This is the providence. This is the plan of God. It will succeed. And, and not you, nor Xerxes, nor Mordecai, or Haman, or anybody else is going to change that. God's going to see his plan through. The Jewish people will survive. But Esther, if you keep quiet, you're going to die. You and, you and your whole family, you'll be wiped out. I don't know how he knows that, but see, God, God's working. God's got a plan. God's making it happen. So got one more kind of big thing for you big steps big blessing because this is this is crunch time right this is that moment for esther this is it look what uh, look what esther says look what happens then esther sent this reply to mordecai ladies and men too i'm just, but she's a lady so this lady this is as uh, i think this is as profound a demonstration of faith as you find in the Bible. We'll look at, at another one uh, at Christmas Eve, but I think this is as profound a one as you'll find in the Bible when Esther says, go and gather together all the Jews of Susa, that's the city where they lived, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, and then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything that Esther had ordered him to do. You see, this is the moment, folks. This is the moment. She doesn't know, right? We're looking back in history, right? We're looking back so we know how the story ends. She doesn't know. God has not made any special revelation to her. Sometimes he does that in Scripture. But God has not made some special revelation. Say, hey, hey, Esther's going to be cool. Go on in there. The king's just going to fall all over you. He's going he's to be happy with you. And no way, you're not going to get killed. Yet that golden scepter is already in your hand. That would be nice, right? Anybody, anybody like one of those advance notices from God? But it doesn't come. And she says it right there, just as transparent as can be. If I must die, I must die. Big step, big step, big step, big blessing. When she steps out in faith to do what God asked her to do. And this is, this is so cool. I'm not, I'm not going to have time to finish all this story. But uh, go on to the next text, uh, if you will, Tyler. Let me, let me 
see what I can do. When the king saw Esther the queen, so she goes in. The king saw Esther the queen. After they had fasted and prayed, by the way, when the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court, she obtained favor in his sight, and the king extended to Esther the golden scepter, which is in his hand. So Esther came near and touched the top of the scepter, and the king said to her, What is troubling you, Queen Esther? And what is your request? Even to half the kingdom it shall be given to you. (laughs) Wow. That's pretty good. Considering she hadn't seen the guy in 30 days. And she's just shown up uninvited. But you see, it's the plan of God. It's the providence of God. He's working. He's accomplishing his purpose. I wish I had time to go through all of it. I I simply don't have time to go through all of it. But uh, Esther, in in response to the king, says, Well, king, listen. Um... If I found favor in your sight, I'm paraphrasing, if I found favor in your sight, all I ask is that you and Haman, your number two guy, for you and Haman to come tomorrow to a banquet that I've prepared in your honor. Would you do that, king? Yeah, yeah, I just offered you half my kingdom. I can do a banquet. So, so they go, Haman, they go to a banquet, they have the banquet, and it's a lovely, apparently a lovely time, just the two of them with Esther, and she's putting on the Ritz, and they're having a good time, and whatever all, and, and you can just, listen, I'm just telling you, in the providence of God, you can see how Esther is, is buttering up the king and setting up Haman, because it's fixing to all go down. And, and so they have this banquet, and the, and the king's like, man, Esther, this is awesome. What do you want? What is your request? Up to half the kingdom? I'll get you. He says it again. Oh, King, it's so kind of you. Listen, if, if I've found favor in your sight, if you've, if you've enjoyed the evening's festivities and, and had a good time, all I would ask is, is that you would come again tomorrow for a second banquet that I prepared for you. And, and would you bring Haman, your second in command? Just, just you and Haman come in and, and enjoy a second day of banqueting with me. Right? Now, so Haman, remember I said, big goes big trouble. Haman, man, me, just me and the king and the queen. It's just it's all they're wanting to hang out, just, just us wanting to hang out, right? So watch what happens when, when he leaves after that first evening's uh, festivities. Uh, uh, during that, no, no, uh, no, go back to, yeah, 5-9. Then Haman went out that day glad and pleased of heart. He's had a good time at the banquet, right? Watch this. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate and that he did not stand up or tremble before him, Haman was filled with anger against Mordecai. That's verse 9, right? Ah! He's had a good time at the banquet and come out here. There's that Mordecai dude. He will not bow down to me. He will not tremble in fear at my greatness. And what he goes home pouting. He literally goes home pouting. Verse 12 and 13. Haman also said, this is after he goes home. He's talking to his family. Even Esther the queen let no one but me come in with the king to the banquet which she had prepared. And tomorrow I'm also invited by her with the king. Yet all of this does not satisfy me every time I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. That is what anger will do to you. All the stuff this guy's got, all the privileges that he has, all this stuff. And it's not enough. When he sees Mordecai, he says, I want him dead, I want him dead, I want him dead, I want all of his people dead. She, uh, uh, so, so they try and comfort Mordecai, or Haman, keep getting the name picky. they and comfort Haman, they say, oh, listen, Haman, here's what you ought to do, hang him, <laughs> just hang Mordecai, have a gallows built in front of the house here, and tomorrow, clearly, you are the king and queen's favorite, because you're the only one invited to this banquet, so clearly, they love you. So when you're there tomorrow, in the midst of the second banquet that only you and the king have been invited to, ask for permission to hang Mordecai. <laughs> That's a, 
That's a slam dunk. You know they're going to let you hang that guy. They love you. They'll give you anything you want. So Haman builds the, uh, the uh, gallows, has him built that night, and the next day he's getting ready to go in. Uh, oh, man, I don't, I don't have time to finish it. But uh, let me just say, let me just kind of wrap this up. In the midst of all of it, it turns out uh, God reveals to the king the king can't sleep that night. And uh, so he wakes up and he starts to say, well, maybe I ought to read some from, of the Chronicles, some of my books of history and stuff. And he comes across Mordecai's name and he remembers the assassination plot. You see where this is going? Do you see the providence of God? Just because he can't sleep that night and he gets down this book and he says, yeah, yeah, Mordecai, that, that guy saved my life. What, what was ever done for that guy? Nothing. We didn't ever do anything for him, king. What? We never did anything for Mordecai. And so he says, man, well, get somebody, get some of my, some of my officials in here. Uh, who's in the court around here? Well, uh, Haman's here. Bring Haman in. Haman, <laughs> you got to go back and read the story. I, don't, I can't read it all. I'm just paraphrasing real quick. Y'all all right? Give me just another minute. So he says, so he says, uh, he says, Haman, what, what should be done for the, for the guy that, that honors the king, for the king's favor? What should be done for the guy that, that and, and Haman's like, yeah, yeah, he's got to be talking about me. I'm the only one invited to the banquet. Who, and he, and he literally says, it, who, who would be better uh, loved by the king than me? So Haman lays out, well, king, here's what you ought to do. For the guy that, 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 that has show, found favor in your sight, man, you ought to put him on one of your steeds, one of your horses, a white horse that you've ridden on. You ought to put your, your cloak on him, king. And, and, and somebody ought to have to walk in front of that guy, walk him all around the streets of Susa and declare, thus shall be done to the man who pleases the king. That, that's what you ought to do, kid. I mean, I'm just saying, that, that's what I would suggest. Great idea, Haman. Go and do that to Mordecai. Can you imagine? And he does. He has to, thus shall be done to the one who finds favor with the king. I mean, he's, got, 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 he's literally got to go around and do this. Man, God is so cool. God is so cool. God is so cool. And long story short, they come back in for the second banquet. Or long story, not quite as long. They come back in for the second banquet. And, uh, and uh, Esther says, uh, you know, King's like, come on, Esther, what do you want? Oh, King, listen, I, somebody wants to kill all of us. Somebody wants to kill all of, our, all of my people. And, and if they were just going to make us slaves, I wouldn't even bother you with it. That's what she says. If they were just going to make us slaves, I wouldn't even bother you with it. King, but somebody actually wants to kill all of my people and, and kill me right he's been she's been buttering him up for two days he hadn't seen her in 30 days he's like you know who wants to do that right come on coincidence is just providence misspelled god was there god was there through all this what i want to say to you and and i gotta let you go i've kept you way too long as a matter of fact we're gonna do things a little different this morning i've kept you so i'm not not we're not gonna do an actual response time at the altar i'll just say this to you we're here i'd love to talk to anybody after the service you got questions or, or something but i just i just need to say this to you in the midst of your times when you're saying god what in the world god what is happening god why is why am i being pushed into this or god why is this happening that way or god why is this person doing that thing or god because right that has to be how esther felt in the middle of all of all of this stuff that's swirling around her and she's just caught up in it right she's just caught up in it but through it all, God was there. I'm just what I'm saying to you. God is there, ladies and gentlemen. Hear me say, God is there. 
There are no accidents with God. And what, what seems coincidence is really the providence of God. And, and even in the decisions that you make or that people make that may be contrary to what would be right or good, God is still doing it. This is the promise. And on this we'll close. This is the promise that maybe you've read a thousand times, but grab a hold of it in your life today. In wherever you are, in whatever situation, the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, Romans chapter 8, and we know... Matter of fact, will you just read this out loud with me? And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Lots of stuff will happen in your life that is not good. It is not pleasant. It is not pretty. But if God is God and if He is on His throne, it can be used for good believe it. Thanks, Pastor. As we heard today, there were lots of plans in action. All kinds of people were making their plans and taking actions that were for their own good. But as we saw in the book of Esther, God was ultimately in charge, accomplishing His plans. Sometimes we can feel alone in God's plans, wondering if He's even there or what in the world He's doing. God's Word assures us that we're never alone when we walk with Him. Esther made the choice to trust God and what he was doing. As a result, God was able to bless Esther and use her in a way that she could have never imagined. Are you willing to join God in his plans for your life? We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, discovering how to really live in the promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting. If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross.
A new church for people like you. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.